You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hello and welcome to the Screeners Podcast. I'm Daniel. This is Chad. And we are back to talk all things media. So it's just Chad and I tonight, but it's not a bonus episode. This is a full action-packed episode. Lots of stuff for us to talk about. But we are missing Chris, Melody, and Josh. We wanted to give them a shout-out. Chris and Melody, they live in Sarasota, Florida, and so they were actually impacted by Hurricane Irma. They had to evacuate, leave their house for a few days. They're back. Uh, From what I understand, everything's okay uh, with their house and everything, but they are without internet uh, still so Chris told me today they had power but no internet and my response was then you might as well not have power (laughs) (laughs) right right what's the what's the point so uh, yeah so our our thoughts and prayers are with them and with everybody else in Florida lots of crazy stuff going on but uh, we still have lots of movie news to talk about and we we couldn't go too long without talking about it because it is a pretty freaking big phenomenon so we got a lot to talk about today so let's dive right in with some breaking news so chad this morning we woke up to some crazy news jj abrams has taken over star wars episode 9 now we hadn't talked about this on the podcast yet but last week colin trevorrow was fired from the project or or left quote unquote over creative differences however however vague that term is He's no longer on the project, and we weren't given reasons beyond that creative differences. Lots of people have rumored or speculated that it's based on the performance of the Book of Henry, which was awful. Did you see Book of Henry, by the way? I was going to, but it left the theater in like one half day, so I didn't get a chance to see it up here. It's one of the more bizarre viewing experiences I've I've had in a long time. You should... You should for real check it out, because it's oh, will. weird. But anyway, that aside, Colin Trevorrow is no longer attached to Star Wars Episode Nine. So for the past week or so, there's been mass speculation. Who's going to take over? Who's going to direct? And this morning we find out it is, in fact, J.J. Abrams, who obviously directed and rebooted, essentially, Star Wars with The Force Awakens. Uh, Chad, what do you think of this big, huge news? Well, and it is huge, huge news. For me... You know, there's been a big internet backlash against Colin Trevorrow uh, ever since he was announced as the director. And I don't like to make things personal in this regard, because ultimately I'm very happy that he's not directing this movie. I'm primarily happy because... Unlike a lot of people, I don't like any of his movies. Hmm. I think Safety Not Guaranteed is good. I don't think it's great. I didn't. I don't understand why people just lost their mind over it. I thought it was okay, and I was really down on Jurassic World. But it made you know 1.6 billion worldwide. So yeah. I understand you know such a massive success. I know a lot of people like it, and it's my five-year-old son's favorite thing in the world. <laughs> he watches. He watches the real movie. He plays the Lego version of that game. It's it's insane how much he loves it. But I just I thought the the characters were were poorly drawn. I thought the the action was was kind of broad and uninspiring. It's just I didn't enjoy it, and so I was happy when he was removed from the project. Now today, I've seen a lot of people online saying this is the quote unquote safe choice, right? And I have a little bit of a problem with that from the standpoint of. I think our I think our memories are short, and we forget that just two years ago. When 
J.J. Abrams gave us the gift that is The Force Awakens. Right. And recentered the Star Wars universe. How before that movie came along, no one knew what to expect, and it was a pretty cynical view about Disney acquiring Lucasfilm and what it was going to mean for the Star Wars universe and how it was going to be the marvelization of this Star Wars universe, which in some sense it is. But what J.J. gave us, and he even said, I don't have the quote in front of me, but at the time he said, this movie is a bridge to remind everybody what Star Wars is and can be so that Episodes 8 and 9 can take us to different places. Because that's the major criticism people have is Episode 7 was just like a a remake of A New Hope, which it is to some degree. I mean, you can't deny that. But what I would say is that it was a great remake. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I, I loved The Force Awakens. I loved the new characters that he introduced. And J.J. Abrams is not like Ron Howard. He's not a safe choice like Ron Howard. J.J. Abrams is still, he's after Spielberg, right? He's that still that new generation of filmmaker who has a unique voice and a style that I that I love. It just mm-hmm. I, I think he, he has demonstrated great work again and again. And I think that it's very cool that he's going to have the opportunity to to bring closure to this trilogy that he started with these new characters that have become so beloved so so soon. So I don't understand the many the many backlash of it's safe and I'd rather it be someone else. No, you know what I'd rather have a freaking awesome episode. <laughs> right? Nine. Yeah, That's absolutely. What I have so I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I, I love the fact that he's writing it or co-writing it, and I think the fact that he was an executive producer on the entire trilogy means that he's been in these rooms. My understanding is that he was a part of a creative team that Colin Trevorrow was bouncing ideas off of. So it's not like I've heard a lot of people say he's going to have to write this script from ground zero. I think part of that is true technically, but I also think the story beats of where everything is going to go. He's been a part of these conversations for the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think it's a true ground zero rebuild. And for me, I'm pumped. I mean, in JJ, I trust. I, I think it, especially after the the Force Awakens, I I, I I couldn't be happier. Honestly, now I wish it had been Ryan Johnson. Um, yeah. But when he declined the opportunity to do number nine. J.J. Abrams is a strong number two, I think, for me. What about you? I mean, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I really uh, I feel very much the same. I do like Trevorrow a little more than you do, I think, in terms of I, 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 I did love Safety Not Guaranteed. I thought that was a great movie. Okay. Jurassic World, I'm I'm just a little bit more positive than you. Not much. I didn't love it, but I thought it was okay. And then I hated Book of Henry. It was weird. But um, <laughs> uh, so that's that's the crazy thing is on paper from a financial standpoint, if you hadn't seen, if Ryan Johnson had, wasn't this far into production, obviously the movie's just about to come out in a couple months. Um, right. He's actually more of a risk than Trevor. Right. Um, For sure. Trevor's directed a billion dollar movie already, and Johnson's his highest grossing movie grossed 176 million, and was a 30 million dollar budget. So obviously they're very different filmmakers, and I'm not saying they should have fired Ryan or anything like the, of that sort. Um, but it's just interesting that um, the, the kind of backlash that that's that's happened. But you know, I've talked on the podcast before. What we talked when uh, when Phil Lord and Chris Miller were fired from Han Solo, we talked at length about this and how disappointed I am with what what it seems to be now Lucasfilm's director problem. Um, right. they, they really this is like the fourth director they've kind of gone through now. Um, between firing Trevorrow, firing Phil Lord and Chris Miller off of Han Solo, firing Josh Trank from whatever uh, spinoff he was going to do, and right. then Tony Gilroy 
didn't replace Gareth Edwards on Rogue One, but was brought in to, you know, significantly to retool the reshoot. movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, something's, something's going on there. And obviously these are high caliber mo- movies, you know, worth a lot of money. And right. so they're not going to risk dollars, it. Yeah. yeah. So I get it from a financial standpoint. But then you see J.J. and Ryan Johnson, who obviously we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and we don't know what happened on those other movies that I mentioned. But... Um, we don't hear the same things. We don't hear those same issues. So it's just kind of well, I did, weird. I did hear some rumors J.J. and Kathleen Kennedy did have some clashes over the first one. But that's to me, that's the difference in J.J. Abrams and these other guys, even mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson, is J.J. Abrams is pretty big time. Sure, absolutely. And so he's not a, he's not a filmmaker that, of course, anybody could be fired from anything. That's not what I mean. But right. he's not one that doesn't know how to work within the studio system while maintaining his strong sense of what he feels to be the right way. Yeah. And he's not going to be pushed around either. So and, I, think it's a great, I think it's a great choice. And he's directed, uh, I was looking at, what is it, five movies so far, and four of them have been franchises. Um, right. You know, he has done, he, he, his directorial debut was Mission Impossible 3. You right. know, then he Which re- is great. Re- fantastic. All these movies are amazing. Then he rebooted Star Trek and did its sequel. And yeah. uh, and then, of course, did Force Awakens. And um, the only thing I'm disappointed with this news is that I want more original movies from J.J. He's only done one, and that was Super 8, which I just absolutely love so I much. I love, too. You know, I read a quote from J.J. from about six months ago where he was being interviewed. And he said, I feel like I ha- I am finished with remakes and reboots (laughs) because I have already done all of the things that that I wanted to do related to my childhood. I now want to make the things that have to be rebooted and remade. And so whatever it is, I think I think this is a kind of unique scenario where because JJ has been executive producing these and he created essentially again and I, I don't want to undersell this before the Force Awakens, Star Wars was in flux. People, yeah, we we can't rem- it's it's like we only two years removed and we've completely forgotten the fact. Do you not remember the trailer reaction videos and people just losing <laughs> their minds? Over the fact that J.J. gave us a Star Wars movie. Right. And so I feel like I feel like there's some poetic justice here for him to come back. Ultimately, Ryan Johnson, it's, it remains to be seen what The Last Jedi is going to be. But everything, all indicators point to people being very excited yeah. about it. Yeah. And so I think J.J., here's one way to look at it, too. I don't think J.J. Abrams would have come back to close this out if The Last Jedi wasn't good or wasn't oh, where absolutely. he wanted it to go. Absolutely. And so I think I think it's just I think it's gonna be it makes me more excited rather than less, like a lot of what I've seen today. Yeah, and and the good thing about it is even though there were tons of great names being mentioned who would probably make great movies, I mean I hate to use the word safe because it sounds so negative, but but really it it's a safe choice in that I feel confident we're going to get a great movie because we've seen one from him already. Whereas even though some of these awesome great directors, you know, uh, Patty Jenkins, Ava DuVernay, uh, Matthew Vaughn, all these other names that we've been hearing, they would probably make a great Star Wars movie. But right. we've already seen a great one from J.J., so I'm psyched. I'm with you, man. Yeah. I'm psyched. I think he saw all of the, the writing on the wall with the director problem that was evident and felt like, you know, I'm just going to come back in and, and bring the ship in for a landing. Sure, yeah. Honestly, because he has a sense of ownership. So I, th- I think I think he does. Now, all that to say, I still do have a problem with Lucasfilm's director problem. Um, with their spinoffs, 
I'm sure Han Solo will be great. I really do think I'll love it. But the spinoffs is where they can get crazy. So I, agree. I, I really I agree. want them to pick some off-the-wall choices. I heard people talking about Guillermo del Toro for Episode Nine. I think yeah. he'd be a terrible choice for Episode Nine because yeah. he's so unique. I think he, he would make an amazing <clears throat> spinoff that would be nuts and bonkers and weird. I want to see agree. that movie. I just don't. I think until they get outside of the first trilogy. Yeah. As far as the spinoffs are concerned, we're going to be kind of hamstrung. If they can get out of that and to get to some new stories, then yes. I think it'll be crazy town. And Absolutely. that'll be great. Absolutely. One of these days, in the next coming years, I mean, they'll be making these movies for decades to come until we die. So Daniel, we'll, we'll we're see. We're going to die before they do. <laughs> Stop making them. That's true. Well, you first, but. Um. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Chad. So for our next jump cut, this is our last episode before the 69th. Primetime Emmy Awards this yeah. Sunday. So we're recording this on the Tuesday before uh, the Emmys. And so, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about in this episode. So I, I, we're not going to go through every category and predict everything because, honestly, the amount of categories at the freaking Emmys is nuts. <laughs> we could is. talk about this for hours. So we're just going to go through the top three categories, drama series, comedy series, and limited series. And we'll say what we want to win. And then we'll... We, and then we'll say what we think will win. And then and then if there's anything else we want to just kind of touch on briefly, we can uh, we can kind of bring that up. So let's start with limited series. So the nominees for outstanding limited series are Big Little Lies, Fargo, Feud, Betty and Joan, Genius, and The Night of. So Chad, which of these have you seen? What do you want to win? I've seen all of these. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I have not seen Genius on National Geographic, but okay. I've seen the other four. For me, it's the biggest surprise is the one that I think should win, and that's Big Little Lies from HBO. Mm-hmm. I went into that series expecting very little. Not that I thought it would be bad. I mean, with the talent involved, you'd expect it to be good, but not expecting to love it as much as I did. And I did love it. I think Nicole Kidman gives one of the finest performances ever for a television wow. series. Um, I mean, it's magnificent. And there's lots of good... I, I wasn't as big a fan of The Night Of. I know a lot of people really like that. I thought it started really strongly and then just fizzled out. I just didn't I didn't enjoy that as much. So for me, I think what will win is Big Little Lies, and I think what should win is Big Little Lies. Okay, great. Yeah, I have seen... I've seen three out of the five here. So I've seen Big Little Lies, Fargo, and The Night Of. I've not seen Genius or Feud. And I agree with everything you said about Big Little Lies. That that show is fantastic. Yeah. Really, really well done. Normally, with, with this set of nominees, I would be rooting for Fargo because yeah. I just, I love Fargo. It's so unique and amazing. Hey, has Fargo won anything in past years? Do you know? Uh so Fargo season one did win Outstanding Limited Series, um, okay. which I think is totally deserved. Yeah, um, yeah. It did not win last year for uh, for Fargo season two because you had People versus OJ, which kind of, you know, uh, Which dominated. wasn't as good as season two of Fargo, but whatever. Yeah, I guess. Debatable. Season one of Fargo is by far my favorite. I, I know. I know you love it. I know you love it. <laughs> so... For this time around, uh, normally I would I would be rooting for Fargo season three, but uh, and which is fantastic. Don't don't take that as a negative in any way. But right. this year I'm actually as much as I love Fargo and Big Little Lies, I actually am going for the night of. Uh, really for what I want to win. I really enjoyed oh, that. Man. Um, I, I it was just so detailed and intricate, slow moving in in a really 
refreshing way. So I really liked the night of, especially Riz Ahmed's performance. His performance was performance just fantastic. Performance is great. I agree. I just think that I think the night of portrayed itself as one thing and then became something completely different. In the pilot, it sets you up to think it's going to be a certain kind of uh, procedural mm-hmm. where they're going to explore all the different ways that this may this murder may have happened. And but it's not that, and it's right. okay that it's not that. But to me, it was a lot less interesting the way that they went for me. But it, oh, but yeah. you're right. It's impeccably made, and his performance, Riz Ahmed's performance is great. Yeah. I agree. No doubt. So, uh, but but I don't think the Night of is going to win. I agree with you. Big Little Lies is most likely going to take this. That's that's pretty safe to say. So, yeah. so let's move on to comedy series. So the nominees are Atlanta, Blackish, Master of None, Modern Family, Silicon Valley, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Veep. So, Chad, what do you want to win, and what do you think will win? So, I have two uh, shows here that are in my blind spot. One is Master of None, which I know I've got to what? see, and it's it's in my queue. I know I'll, I will. I'm on it. I'm on it. There's Ugh. so much to watch, Daniel. There's no, that's so that's not the to top watch. of your list. I'm telling. you. I know. I know. Uh, and the other is Blackish, and that's just because I've heard a lot of good things about it. I just don't watch a lot of network sitcoms, yeah, yeah. and so that's that. That's the only thing. Now, what I wish would win is Atlanta. I love Donald Glover, and I love the show, and that guy's super, super talented. And, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, so it's just kind of cool. What I think will win is probably Veep again. And Veep is great, but, eh, you know, I honestly, I prefer Silicon Valley over Veep, although it may not technically be a better show, quote-unquote. To me, I, I, I connect with that show more. Interesting. What about you? Yeah, so I have seen all of these except Atlanta, actually. Uh, oh, okay. and, and I just moved away from Atlanta, so I don't know why I never got around to seeing it. I just That's haven't great. had the it's chance. It's really unique. It's unique. I'm, I'm really psyched to see it. I just, uh, you know, FX takes their stuff offline for so long right. that it's not available unless I want to buy it on iTunes. So right. I'm just being a little stubborn at the moment. So I've seen everything else. Man, I just love, I love comedy series. I think I, I like comedy more than drama. I, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just attracted to it more, watch it more. And so this is a really strong crowd, mostly. I've just actually rewatched all of Veep with my wife. We finished the latest season this morning for the second time. And uh, man, I love that show. And that's probably going to win again. But what do I want to win? Uh, I'm going to go with Master of None Season 2, and that's not even freaking close. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that about season two that it's amazing dude it is honestly no no hyperbole like not trying to talk crazy about it it's one of the best seasons of tv i've ever watched in my entire life i mean wow it floored me when i i watched it you know i put my phone down and i just watched i was so hooked into it um i can't recommend it higher enough that definitely deserves to win and it's not even close but and actually i said veep is probably going to win and it might be right but i'm actually predicting atlanta which is kind of a long shot oh wow i really think i don't know i just have this feeling that atlanta is going to take a lot of awards i think donald i hope you're right man i hope you're right i think donald glover is going to win i think atlanta is going to win comedy series so i could be wrong um veep's won the past two seasons so you know could could happen again but I'm, i'm going for atlanta all cool, right. I hope you're right. So, uh, so let's move into drama series. Uh, the nominees are Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, House of Cards, Stranger Things, This Is Us, and Westworld. So, what are your thoughts, Chad? 
this is the easiest one of of them all. There are lots of there's a lot of good television in this category for sure. And, but I think for me, this is a slam dunk. I think Westworld should win and will win. Uh, I liked Stranger Things a li- a lot, but not as much as most people. Uh, Handmaid's Tale, same thing. House of Cards. I, I thought this was probably the weakest season yet. Uh, the Crown's great, and Better Call Saul is fantastic. I don't know if you watched Better Call Saul, Daniel, but it is fantastic. This Is Us is good. So I, I, for me, I think I, I would be shocked if it didn't win, uh, and it's deservedly so, in my opinion. So I should point out that the, the, the show that has won this category the past two seasons is, of course, Game of Thrones, which took a long hiatus, and and so that's why it's not qualifying this year. So, right. uh, in most years, it would probably be easy to predict Game of Thrones for this category. Well, and l- let me say this is just my this may be my unpopular opinion. If this season of Game of Thrones were in this category, I would still pick Westworld. Interesting. Interesting. I said it. Okay. It. Well, you know, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I'm going to get caught up before the finale, but I don't watch it as of now, so I can't really comment right. on that. But for me, I have seen all of these except for Better Call Saul, actually. Um, oh, I've, man. I've only watched the first season of it, and, and then again with FX, it's, or I'm sorry, that's not on FX, that's AMC, but it's AMC. a little, little tougher to get caught up because they kind of remove their stuff. So quickly. did you watch You watch Breaking Bad, though, right? Of course, yes. Okay. Love Breaking Bad. All right, Bad. all right. Love Breaking right. Bad. That's the only one I haven't seen. This category is actually kind of tough for me. Um, I... I'm not like a diehard, like I, I don't feel as strongly about any of these as I did for Master of None. So I don't have one that I just am demanding wins here because uh, I like most of these shows. Um, I just don't, I'm not dying over any of them. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say the one I want to win is Stranger Things um, just because oh, okay. it's, it's so different from most anything that's on TV. Um, and I really appreciate that. I do, I do have a special place in my heart for House of Cards. I just, I love House of Cards. You're right. This was probably one of the weaker seasons, but I still, I just love it. Um, uh, I just yeah, love the characters. So, um, what will win? Man, I honestly see if I can, I could, I could honestly make a case for The Crown winning, Stranger Things winning, This Is Us winning, or Westworld winning. I can like legitimately see any of those four winning for real. Um, so this is again really tough for me to say what will win, but again yeah. I'm I'm gonna go with Stranger Things. Don't feel confident in it, but I just uh, I don't know. I have a feeling that Stranger Things is really popular and could take it. It's but not going to. I I I'm not even gonna put much of a fight. I don't I don't feel confident <laughs> in it. So <laughs> I'm not gonna even fight you on it. So you're probably right, but I'm gonna stick with it. Okay, so so those are the main three categories. You know, we could go into all the acting performances, but there's just so many that we don't have time to talk about that. We got to get to our review of it. But is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Any performance or anything that you're especially rooting for? The the only thing that I think is worth mentioning here is the fact that The Leftovers season three <laughs> didn't get any <laughs> nominations, and it blows my mind specifically for Carrie Coon now Carrie Coon was nominated for her turn in Fargo right which which is great but it is not it is just simply not at the same level as she is in the leftovers and so I don't understand other than I just 
can assume that nobody ever uh, watched this show enough for it to get continual buzz. The fans of this show are very loyal fans, and I know we're going to have a follow-up show shortly down the road where, we, where you and I and Chris and Melody talk about the, the series as a whole. But for me, I think The Leftovers is some of the finest television out there, and so I'm shocked and, and disappointed that after three seasons, it didn't even, even if it was just a thank you nomination for the, for three seasons of good television, uh, I think that would have been appropriate. So that's really my only disappointment, I think, with these these nominees. Yeah, and you did have, uh, what's her name, Ann Dowd. Uh, she got nominated for Guest Actress in a Drama Series, but oh, okay. but that was it. You know, I agree with yeah. you. I think Carrie Coon, I'm looking at the nominees here, Lead Actress. I mean, look, Viola Davis is a legend, and she definitely deserved sure. her Oscar this year, but y- you can easily lose her yeah. from that category and not even, you know, sweat yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It is... It is uh, kind of kind of disappointing i'm just uh i i'm i'm seeing that uh, that black mirror went as outstanding television movie um so they're, they're they went for individual episodes of black mirror right. as opposed to going limited series which i guess uh, i don't know i guess makes sense kind of um so um, i'm just happy i'm just happy for that that they're nominated because that show is so good um, so good. So I'm glad to see that nominated. And then, um, as far as performances, I think one of the best of the year. I think Sterling K. Sterling K. Brown, his work in This Is Us. Look, This Is Us is a it's a network drama. Totally. Um, there are things that I get really, really freaking annoyed at when I watch that show. But his storyline and his performance literally moved me to tears multiple times throughout the season. Um, right. I just think he is doing amazing work. So um, I'm I'm happy that he's nominated and and i think i think he's gonna win i hope he does so yeah cool all right so those are just a couple of our picks here for the primetime emmy awards they'll be airing this sunday we'll we'll talk about uh, a few of the wins afterwards in our next episode check those out and let us know what you wanted to win what you were rooting for uh and uh and how many you got right and with that let's move into our main review of it grandfather thinks this town is cursed that all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing an evil thing bill if you will come with me we'll float too i saw something a clown yeah i saw him too What happens when another Georgie goes missing? Or one of us? Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we'll win. For this week's main event, we visit the town of Derry, Maine, for Andy Muschietti's take on Stephen King's 1986 horror classic, It. Okay, Daniel, so as we know, the 2017 summer has been in a prolonged box office slump. Yes. And there have been many 
back and forth speculations on why that is. Most of the people in Hollywood, although that's a gross generalization, but a lot of studio execs in Hollywood seem to be blaming Rotten Tomatoes these days. I, uh, I, sent, a, I sent an article uh, to you guys earlier that talked about a statistician who essentially debunked that idea, whereas I personally think it's you know probably because they're making part fives and part sixes of movies <laughs> that nobody wants. But I don't think any of us could have predicted that the movie that was going to help turn the tide of the dismal box office was an adaptation of a 1986 Stephen King novel about a killer clown. (laughs) I know the trailers for this when they released received very positive reviews. But over the weekend, it opened to a staggering, I think the most positive projections had it opening at around 75 to 80 million, and it opened to 117 million. <laughs> so it is a smash, smash hit. What I want to do is talk about uh, our general reactions to the film, and then we'll get into spoilers because we want to be careful not to spoil anything about, about the movie. But I did want to ask you, Daniel, I know that you are the youngin' here on the yep. show, and 1986 was definitely before your time. You weren't born in 86, right? Correct. All right. So I, you don't have memories like me of reading this movie, although I didn't read it in 86. I, I was, I think, a sophomore in high school when I first read it. But you don't have any connection to the source material. Is that right? Correct. None at all. So coming into this viewing experience, you didn't have any ties to to the story. You had no idea of who Pennywise was, because I would also assume that you were too young to see the 1990 television adaptation with Tim Curry as Pennywise. Is that true? Correct. I was too young, but I do have vague, like... I don't know what it is about that movie, even though I've never seen it. It's the, right. it, it, the the miniseries and I guess the book as well have kind of pervaded our our culture ever since yeah. then. So it's just For been sure. something that I've always been aware of. Like I I knew that Penny that you know Pennywise was a clown. I knew that Tim Curry played him. I had seen you know pictures of Tim Curry's it all sure. these years, but I've never seen it. It's safe to say that what they have done in 2017 is updated what, for many people, is one of King's first really classic novels uh, that had a lot of staying power and resonated with a lot of people. I think primarily a lot of people in my generation, because we were growing up as young teenagers when we read this book, which is focused around young teenagers growing up and confronting their fear. So, Daniel, let me ask you, as a as a neophyte to it and to the world of it as drawn by Stephen King, what did you think about this movie? It's getting glowing reviews. I think it's currently sitting at a high 80, 88% um, on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes and even a little bit higher audience response up into the 90s. It's a massive success. So uh, tell me, what was your reaction to Stephen King's it. So not only have I no connection to the source material, I'm also not much of a horror movie watcher. We've talked about that before on the oh, podcast. Yeah, um, right. And and you are Chad. You're our, you're our resident horror expert. If you if you want to call yourself that, uh, I enjoy it. And so for me, it's my least watched genre. So I don't have a lot of expertise. And there's a lot of classic horror movies that I have not watched. Uh, none of the Halloween series. None of, you know, just lots of things that I haven't watched. So I go into this kind of with a different viewpoint than a lot of people do. You know, I'm just not used to watching horror movies as much. I- I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way immediately. 
I really, really, really liked this movie a lot. I might even wow, say I okay. loved it. I thought it was right. great. I just thought it was really fantastic. The kids are by a mile the best part of this movie. I mean, they are written so strongly, and the actors are all excellent. There is not a weak kid in that bunch. They are fantastic actors. They they play the, the roles perfectly. You know, they're hilarious, too. That was the thing. I, I, I didn't expect this movie to be so funny, but it was hilarious. And, of course, Richie is, is the best character. I mean, he gets all the laughs, and it, it was amazing. Um, and you really feel for the kids. You, you dive into their individual stories. Of course, they're all sad, uh, but, it, but it worked really well for me. Um, and, and so it makes for one of the better coming-of-age movies that we've gotten in a long time. It takes its time. It lets us get to know and feel for the kids. And so as a coming-of-age movie, if you look at this not as a horror movie but a coming-of-age movie, it is amazing through and through. Now, as a horror film, I think it's only okay. The the movie isn't all that scary, even as somebody who doesn't really watch horror movies that much. I didn't really find this that scary. There are some decent jump scares, but that's that's about it. Um, Pennywise is 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 great and decently frightening, but the sequences themselves aren't really anything new or especially interesting. Um, there's nothing bad. Like don't don't get me wrong. I, I like I said, I love this movie, but it just the, for the horror elements, the the frightening bits didn't feel that frightening to me so um that was that was you know only okay but blended together with the coming of age parts that are fantastic it makes for a good movie you know uh, it, it 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 doesn't ruin it but if you go into it looking for a really scary movie or something I, I, you know it depends on what your scare level is i guess but but i wasn't that scared by it now Again, none of that ruined the movie, but my absolute biggest problem with the movie is its use of CGI. I thought the effects throughout this movie were were downright bad. They they will not age well at all. They could have really benefited, I think, from practical effects. I mean, Pennywise is barely physically in this movie at all. A lot of the performance of Pennywise is is completely CGI, and or at least supplemented with a lot of CGI. And so I, I was really disappointed by that, because even now, like right as the movie comes out, I don't think it looks that good. So imagine, for, for me at least, how it's going to look in a few years. I think it's going to age really, really poorly. So I, I was really I was really bummed about that. Um, you know, I think back to a scene. Well, I don't want to scare anything, but uh, or spoil anything. But you know, there's just there's just some scenes with specific effects that I thought looked really really bad. That was the only part of the movie that I was that I was actually negative on. The rest of it I thought was great. I could watch those kids interact for hours upon hours. So they've already announced chapter two coming out. Uh, so I'm super psyched about that, and, and I, I really can't wait for that. I think. They'll need to step up in a couple ways for the next movie. I think it needs to be scarier. Definitely, I feel like, you know, and again, I haven't read the book, so maybe, you know, maybe I just wanted something different that, that the movie, that the, the source material doesn't call for. But hopefully in the next movie, it's scarier, more maybe more psychological, really delving into the specific fears a little bit more for each of the, the characters. Again, I, I, I definitely don't want to sound too negative on this movie at all. I really, really don't, because I think it is fantastic. I, I really, really love this movie. It deserves the praise it's getting, deserves the money it's making, because uh, this is a really, really great movie. Wow. Okay. Daniel, who not an aficionado of the horror genre, but loved it. That's interesting. So 
My background with Stephen King, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, is one of the first novels that I ever remember reading was a book by Stephen King that he wrote for his daughter because his daughter complained that she wasn't allowed to read any of his books. And so he wrote a book called The Eyes of the Dragon, which is essentially a fantasy story. And it was fantastic. And it was a gateway drug for me to, number one, become a voracious reader just in general because it opened my eyes to reading for pleasure. And not just Stephen King, but but reading in general, but specifically Stephen King. And so I have read everything that he's written that I can get my, my hands on. Uh, from that day forward. It was a seminal book, uh, just like many of his works, specifically related to me because I was a teenager, a young teenager, when I first read it. And so going into this movie, I had high expectations because the buzz that we'd heard about it was extremely positive. I heard it was one of the most terrifying movies ever made, and it was a great story, etc., etc. But what I'm going to say, Daniel, is I'm going to agree with you 100% that the strongest parts of this film are related to the kids and their relationship. Seeing them go through what all teenagers at some point go through facing the fear of growing up and changing. And what, what I think I'm going to give the movie a little bit more credit probably than it deserves as far as it relates to the scare, because I think the way that this, and as someone who watches and has watched and read a lot of horror films, uh, I think where this movie doesn't work as much as far as the quote unquote scary quotient is that it does from a from just a general construction standpoint it's pretty relentless with the amount of scares that it tries to throw at you and so what happens in this movie keeping it as general as i can so that we don't spoil is that one of the themes of this movie is certainly fear and these these kids confronting their fear and the more that they confront their fear the less afraid that they are i think a similar thing happens in this movie as it is front-loaded with a lot of scare scenes in very close proximity to one another, is that after four or five of those within the first 20, 25 minutes or so, you begin to to get numb to how they work. And not only do you begin to get numb, but as you begin to realize, as the characters do, that they have the power over their fear, the less frightening that Pennywise becomes. And so I think that actually, on a meta level, you could be like, wow, that's really profound filmmaking. <laughs> but but on a very practical level, it does become less frightening. That said, it has some wonderful sequences that I, that I really enjoyed. And I'm going to keep it general until we get into spoilers. But the opening sequence, I think, is fantastic. We've seen segments of that yeah. from the trailer. Uh, there's a scene in a garage that is great, that I absolutely loved. There's a scene in a library that I think is really very cool, and there's a neat visual trick that they pull in there that I'm not sure a lot of people even notice um, that happens before what happens happens. But overall, Daniel, I'm going to go on record with you and say that I like this film very much. It is, I'm going to agree with you somewhat on the CGI, although I wasn't nearly as bothered as you was as you were, except to say that this film was made for a production budget of $35 million. And so the fact that this movie looks as good as it does for $35 million, I think, is a testament sure. to what they did. I think the movie looks, it 
you know, it evo- certainly evokes movies made in the 80s. It has that Stranger Things vibe and that milieu to it. Uh, they utilize darks very well, uh, intentional darks to emphasize what is in the shadows and things things of that nature. And for $35 bucks, I think this movie looks fantastic. I do agree. There are some very, very poorly drawn uh, moments where it's almost it almost breaks the scene. But outside of that broad picture, I don't think it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. My, my, my final thoughts here as we kind of wrap up the, our general statements is I, I love the themes that this movie explores. In each one of these kids' lives, they have dysfunction at home. There's an intrinsic fear of adults that we even see adults are not painted very well in this uh, movie at all. If you go back to the parents of Bill and Georgie, they are essentially trying to erase the trauma that has happened in their lives. Then you have the other characters, Beverly, who's has her, her parent parental situation has more of an overt threat. You have an apathetic parent. Everything that is related to these kids' lives from an adult standpoint, from a parent interaction standpoint, evokes fear, the fear of them becoming their parents, the fear of them, what the, what's happening to them at home. And in the book, that's explained a little more as kind of what has happened in this town and oh. how it has affected everybody. And I imagine in Chapter 2, they'll probably explore that a little bit more. But overall, this movie is way more than the sum of its part. It's not just another quote-unquote horror movie. It really does nail what it's like to be a 12 or 13-year-old kid sitting around with your buddies, cracking jokes, making fun of each other. And for those of us in the nerd culture, I'll just go ahead and say it, who back in the 80s when it wasn't cool to be a nerd or to be interested in things other than just sports, right? These kids fit firmly in, they're even in the movie, they're called the losers, right? right? So it's one of those things where it evokes all kinds of fears that everybody has when they're growing up, trying to fit in, trying to belong, trying to confront looming adulthood, all these things. And it does it in a way with uh, a terrifying clown monster that I won't talk much about uh, (laughs) until we get into spoilers. But overall... I think you're exactly right, Daniel. The performances are spot on. Cinematography is great, has some great sequences. And I don't think you have to like horror movies to like this movie. Yeah. As a matter of fact, my wife, who hates horror movies, saw this with us, a group of us that went to go see it, and she didn't find it that scary either. So it's one of those things where don't let the fear of going to a horror movie keep you from seeing this movie because it is worthwhile, I think, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so let's, uh, Daniel, let's go to you then. And we've got four choices now that Chris has invented a fourth choice. Is this see it in the theater, rent it, stream it, or skip it? Definitely, definitely see it in theaters. This is a fantastic movie. Definitely worth your time and your money. Um, it, it'll still be great on, on uh, you know, physical on home media uh if you if you rent it or buy it or whatever it'll definitely be, still be good there but this is definitely one that'll be great in theaters agreed definitely see it in the theater it's a communal experience there's nothing like seeing a horror movie with a lot of people right. who try to act like they're not scared even when they are uh, and this does have listen if you think this is not going to have any scares in it you're wrong there's some good <laughs> jump scares in there you're going to be tense but it's definitely worth seeing in the theater. So with that, let's move into spoilers for It. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? 
You want to know how I got him? There's so many places it would never occur to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führers brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware of what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. Okay, Daniel, what do you think about, so having not read the book, the book actually is a thousand pages. Right. What we've learned now is that part two is going to focus on the adults 27 years later. So did you know that going into this and how did that affect your viewing? Did you think that it suffered because of that or or, or what did you think? I I did know that. Well, Well, actually, I only knew part of it. It didn't really affect me because I didn't know what characters were in spoilers so we can talk about it so uh, you know i was waiting to see i I thought some of the kids were gonna die they didn't but i I was sitting there waiting i I intentionally didn't look up what characters were were in there as adults because i was like okay one of these kids is gonna die who's it gonna be it was none of them uh except maybe georgie they kind of didn't address did he die i actually am not quite sure is he dead yes yeah, so the kids that were floating up at the beginning when they floated down, it kind of gave the impression that they might be alive, but they, their life force has been drained. Yeah, they, um, that so was very they strange. Dead. They, Yeah, you're exactly right. They, like, floated down, they or they started to float down, and then it cut away and never addressed it. Yeah, I think, I think it tried to give you a little bit of closure when Bill sees his raincoat and finally breaks down and cries. Right. I think that's supposed to let you know that, but yeah, they, they his Georgie's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so other than him... Which is the, super sad, because he's so cute. He is, yeah. <laughs> like, this is so sad. <laughs> I have a crazy. five-year-old, oh, stay away from the gutters. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I'm super psyched. After we're done talking about spoilers, we're going to um, kind of dreamcast uh, all of all the kids who should play them as adults. But, yeah, I, I find that really interesting. And one of the things I was going to say that I, that I didn't say in my initial review, I didn't want to spoil anything, because the best part of this movie was the coming-of-age aspect and how these the kids were precocious and, and fun to be around and captured the essence of growing up. Uh, none of that can really happen in the in the sequel, right? So they're gonna have to really work on the scares um, and the psychological aspect of it, I think, and and just making sure that those kids are or the the characters are still as um, you know fun to be around as adults because it's gonna be a very different thing. The movie, right. uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, an uphill battle. The movie is gonna have to do a lot of things differently because it can't just be more of the same for the sequel. It will not work. That's true. That's true. And they and they took some creative liberties from the book, obviously, uh, as you do. Um, although I believe that the essence of the story is still there, so I am very interested in how they're going to tell part two of of the story. But I have faith. Have you seen the director's uh, other horror film, Mama, by chance? I did. I saw it years ago. Like probably, I, I remember I rented it after it came out. Um, what right. year was that? Twenty twenty twelve or something? Yeah, it's like four years ago because it got a lot of good buzz. I didn't know if you. It. Did I remember. You like it? I don't remember my specific opinion. I kind of remember being like, oh, okay, you know, kind of. It was fine. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember anything more specific than that. 
Yeah, I think it's pretty tightly constructed as well. I have a lot of faith in the director uh, after after these two initial efforts. So yeah. I think uh, I think they're in good hands. I, I did. I meant to ask you before we came into spoilers, but I can ask you now. What did you think of uh, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise? I because thought it, for the for a long time Tim Curry has been the creepy clown gold standard. Sure. And so I'm curious what you thought about that performance. I, I thought it was great. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, it, it was definitely frightening and weird. Yeah. I, I, again, my biggest problem it's, it's and it's not with his performance, but he's barely physically in this movie. It's a lot of CGI, and so that's that's kind of where I was just disappointed. That that was my only disappointment when I walked out. So I can say I liked his performance, but I wish he. Was was there more right well i think again it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you i i don't want to be too hyperbolic here but i think depending on how the second chapter does i think his version of pennywise the dancing clown is going to cement that character in the upper echelon of horror icons like oh, no doubt freddy krueger and jason Voorhees and and all these characters because it is, I think it is fantastically done. I was somewhat skeptical. There's there's a Netflix series, a horror series, uh, had three seasons uh, on Netflix called Hemlock Grove. And he's a central character in that. And I could not stand him in that series. <laughs> I just couldn't. Now, it was poorly written and there are a lot of bad things about the series just in general. But when I saw that he was announced to play Pennywise, I was very skeptical. And I am I'm happy to say that I feel like he proved me wrong. He is creepy in all the best ways and the performance takes it into because you have to understand and we're in spoilers here so we'll say spoilers for the book too is that and i'm not going to ruin the second movie for you daniel don't worry but this is a creature of the other world okay and it's he is taking on the forms of the things that he wants to to try and play on the fears of his victims and whatever they're afraid of and the clown just happens to be his favorite or its favorite i should say and so there are a lot of ways that you can play a character like this. I mean, a, a demon or an otherworldly kind of character. And I think where he landed strikes the perfect balance between crazy and frightening, but also charming to kids. You, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. And yeah. we as adults, when we see it, we know right away that's not right. But you can see how a seven or eight year old kid would not know. You know, they would understand that something is wrong, but be charmed at the same time. I thought it was a great, great performance. Another thing, this this movie has gotten a lot of, I don't want to say controversy, but there's been some talk about the scene in specific with these kids growing up and the girl and the boys at the uh, at the swimming hole and them staring at her. Yeah. And so saying that the, the, the kids were too young. I personally thought it was absolutely accurate and exactly what it would be like. Uh, Daniel, how did that, did that strike you one way or the other? Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's exactly what it would be like. I think the, the, my only problem with it was it lingered a little bit too long. Like, I, I, I even I feel, I feel weird even even talking about it. Like, there was literally the the type of shot that you would have if you were having the main sexy woman in a in a movie taking off her shirt, you know, to reveal her in her underwear. But they right. had that with an eleven year old girl, and so. I don't know. You're right. That's how it would be. You know how the guy, how the kids would look at her, but it was right. a little. I think it was a little bit more gratuitous than it should have been with it being an 11 year old girl because they could have done it like from behind. So you just see her taking off her shirt, but you're not, you know, focusing on her or something. Because um, that was a just a little bit too much. It's a coming of age movie, and and 
that's a large part of coming it's a large part of it so so yeah i i just i think they could have done it a little bit more tastefully um but it it, you know i can't call it inaccurate right and there's a lot of things about sexual awakening in the book that will not make it into this film or the next one there's yeah and but the undercurrent of that i think is what they were going for uh with that scene so um anything else daniel that you want to talk about in spoilers before we go to our our top three um, anything that stuck out to you or uh, anything that you think uh, is worthy of talking about? No, not really. I'm just, I'm very, um, I'm psyched for the next one. I really am. I'm, I'm very curious to see what it turns out because it's going to be such a different movie that because I haven't read the book, I really don't know what to expect um, with it being adults. That's just such a different type of movie. So it'll be good. Yeah, I, I'm very excited for that as well. I think the only downside to this is we're about to we're about to get a slew of Stephen King adaptations. Oh yeah, they're gonna be terrible. Here terrible. we go. You know, yeah, what's I, I found good. it funny that our our last main event that we did before this one was The Dark Tower, uh, right. which was just awful. So uh, it is not an adaptation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Daniel, before we go, you had mentioned us talking about. Uh, dreamcasting the future uh, adults that might play these kids based on what these some of these kids look like. Yeah. Do you have any anybody that you think would be perfect to play them? Yeah, yeah. I, I was looking at, I mean, there's been a ton of lists written over the past couple of days of who's going to play the adult characters. Um, and so I, I just threw a few names out here. I actually did a lot of research. I want you to know. I did a lot of research going into li- this I list. I appreciate that about you, Daniel. <laughs> I do. One one thing that I found was really interesting is, uh, is everybody is quick to to cast beverly you know there's not a lot of redheaded uh right. actresses out so everybody's saying amy adams jessica chastain but the thing is jessica chastain was in andrew muschetti's first movie uh mama and he has said that he would love her to play uh beverly so so i i, I would she would be great at it if they can get her this movie everybody so would amy adams i mean of course she'd be great the thing is everybody when it, at a lot of these lists that i've seen they have like these this massive a-lister for every single character and right. that's just not gonna happen so um i was trying to be a little more realistic but they are gonna have one or two mega a-listers and so i would say she she could be one of them yeah with as much money as they made on this one they could have a lot of different a-listers if yeah. they wanted to for sure no doubt no doubt so uh and i think beverly is going to be played by an a-lister and it'll probably be jessica chastain i can really see that happening for bill i could see i, I struggled to when i was trying to cast bill because he could he's probably going to be played by an a-lister as well being yeah. the main character he's kind of the de facto main character yeah right um but i didn't i didn't when i was dream casting him i didn't i didn't pick a main a, a super a-lister i picked mark duplass who i think um kind of looks like Jaden lieber interesting okay um and he could really uh capture the kind of timid i don't know how the character is in the book but based off of how he is as a kid the kind of timid more right. kind of kid so so that's who I picked for that. Bill Hader for Richie would be awesome. And that's actually who Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, that's uh, actually who he wants to play him. And I think that'd be interesting. I think, that'd be I think somebody else that would be good for, for Richie because of the way that he looks and because of his performance in Sneaky Pete is Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. I, I think totally I that. think he I think he could I think he would be good for that kind of character. Yeah, but I anyway. can I can totally yeah. see that. Yeah. Uh, did you have anybody for Beverly or uh, or Bill? No, not really for Bill. I mean, Bill it could be anybody. That's Bill is literally insert right. Yeah, you know any A list actor that's you know thirty or whatever. But the the one for sure that I thought was funny that I saw on a lot of lists, but I actually think is perfect 
is Jordan Peele for Mike. Yes, Have I said the same that? thing. That would that, be perfect. That would be perfect, and oh I hope I hope he does that. that and, would be and I can totally actually see that happening. Like that's a that's a legitimate thing that could happen. Yeah, because uh, Mike, and and part of it is because Mike Mike's character in this first chapter I think was underserved. Yeah, he didn't get as much time, but I think. Part of that is because of what's going to happen in the next one. I think they felt like they could because this movie's long. We didn't talk yeah, about it. it is. It's it's two hours and plus plus, yeah. um, and so I think uh, he he got some scenes that were probably cut out. But I think Jordan Peele would be great. Yeah, he would. Another one, another funny one that I saw initially with Ben, um, who was the kind of you know chubbier character. Initially, I was thinking of like chubby actors, um, and so I was thinking like James Corden would be great if they kind of go that route. <laughs> he would be great. Then I saw somebody tweet something amazing they tweeted a picture of jerry o'connell from stand by me when he was the chubby kid (laughs) and he would be amazing he would be perfect perfect. Uh, and just that callback would be amazing so yeah that's awesome um, that's awesome and then also eddie who was the kind of fast talking kid constantly reminded me of fred savage throughout the movie like he looks exactly like a young fred savage so he He does fred savage so yeah i agree well those are our dreamcast picks hollywood you're welcome to take those uh and do with them as you will and if i I think it's safe to say that if we get any any number of those uh it's going to uh to make for an interesting movie for sure so the downside to this is they have not. They had not yet greenlit Chapter Two because they were waiting to see how Chapter One was going to perform. So I think we're probably going to be in 2019 before we get that movie. Yep. Those are our thoughts for it. If you uh, agree or disagree, please feel free to uh, to email us screenerscast at gmail and let us know what you thought, or jump on Facebook and uh, and tell us what you thought about it. Was it scary enough for you? Was it a, a good enough to get by on the coming of age aspect? We would love to hear from you. But with that, let's move now to our top three. Three, two, one. The top three. All right, so for our top three today, we are doing our top three coming-of-age films. As always, for our top three, there are no rules. You can pick whatever you feel qualifies. Chris is not here to, to pick something crazy, so we'll uh, we'll kind of keep it reined in hopefully today. But I'm, I'm very curious to hear what your choices are. So, Chad, let's dive right in. What is your number three coming-of-age movie? A coming-of-age movie in its truest sense can literally be any movie where someone goes through something from one age to the other. So I tried to focus in a little bit more, and originally I was going to try and keep my movies in honor of the main event, It, um, a little more on the dark side as far as like messed up or dark coming-of-age films. But the more I started working on that list, the more depressed I got. So I just <laughs> threw that out the window and said, I'm just going to do coming-of-age movies. It's fine because in its truest sense, it is a coming-of-age movie. There's it no is. doubt about it. Yeah. So the difficult challenge for me then became there are so many that are so fantastic and some of which are absolute cinematic classics that I had to pick movies that – were very impactful to me as a movie when I saw them initially as a younger person or or whenever, as opposed to retrospectively now looking back and trying to pick the best movie, okay? So number three for me is a film that won an Academy Award for screenwriting and is a movie that I think is endlessly rewatchable, a movie that I love with my entire heart, and that's Juno. <laughs> prognosis fertile myrtle minus or plus 
There it is. Little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no Etch-a-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. Just tell him. I'm pregnant. Who is the father? It's Polly Bleeker. Polly Bleeker? I didn't think he had it in him. I know, right? <laughs> Did you see that coming? Yeah, but I was hoping she was expelled her into hard drugs. Or a DWI? Anything but this. I could, like, have this baby and, and give it to someone that, like, totally needs it. You should look at the penny saver. They have ads for parents. Yeah. Desperately seeking spawn. Hi. I'm Vanessa. Hi. I'm the husband. This, of course, is Juno. Like the city in Alaska. No. It's uh, it's just a great movie. I know a lot of people think this is kind of light and kind of a slight film, and there and I couldn't really argue with them. But there's something at the center of this movie that just really connects with me uh, about uh, about a a pregnancy, an unwanted pregnancy that turns into something different around this budding relationship with these two awkward characters. And I just, I love that movie very, very much. So my number three is Juno. Very interesting pick. I did not expect that. Uh, that's a great movie. A yeah. great movie. Yeah. Uh, so when you started introducing your, your number three, uh, the way you described it, I thought we had the same number three. Mine is also a film that won the Academy Award for screenwriting. Uh, and that is Goodwill Hunting. Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, at number three, th- this is this is my number three pick, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. All um, time. I agree. I'm, and, I'm with you right there, 100%. And so what I did for this list, similar to you, is I have a lot of favorites that are that could qualify as a coming-of-age movie. You know, Goodwill Hunting, I would probably rank, like in terms of favorites, above the movies that I have for number two and number one here. But it, it, it's not quite, it's a little bit different of a coming-of-age movie. It's not about a young kid, kind of. I mean, he is young, but uh, it's not about a child kind of right. having a, having experience. So um, just because it didn't feel quite as about a childhood, I put it a little lower on the list. So even though it's just one of the best movies of all time. Agreed. All right, so number two, what do you have? So number two for me was one that is such a classic that it almost transcends the list. It's like a memorial list for, list for me. But in thinking about it, because I have literally like 30 movies that yeah, can all fit yeah. into the list list. So I remember watching this movie as a younger person, maybe 20, 30 times or more. And it's based on a novella that I, that I really enjoy. And it's the classic Stand By Me. Yes. It's just... It's magnificent. It's the relationships are just right. It's got that tinge of reality that uh, shows you that there are consequences to decisions. And it's based on a novella by Stephen King called The Body. And um, it's just a great, great movie that I, I still love and stands up to this day. Great pick. That's on my honorable mentions. I love that movie so much. Yeah. All right. For my number two pick, uh, it's a movie that I I grew up watching. I you know, it's probably not the best uh, movie on this list, but I just, it was a coming of age movie for me. I, I grew up watching it. I watched it probably a hundred times. Uh, I had a friend whose house I would always go over and, and we would watch this as children. It's probably seven or eight. Um, we would always go over and just watch this movie. And I still love watching it. It brings me back to another age. Um, and that is The Sandlot. I know you're smart and I'm proud of you. I want you to make some friends this summer. Meet Scotty Smalls. Kale, get it! The kid is a 
Seven. Winning. My life is over. Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. You just have fun. Climb trees, hop fences, get into trouble. Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. I love The Sandlot so, so much. Such a classic for me. So much fun and and still holds up as as a great, great movie. Yeah, Sandlot's great. No doubt about it. All right, so we're at our number one picks now. Chad, what is your favorite coming-of-age movie of all time? Well, see, this is the thing that shows you that your your taste in movies change as you get older and have more experiences, and you just never know when something is going to hit you at a certain time uh, in a certain way. And so I have, I have two or three dozen movies that I would say are better <laughs> movies than this movie. But for me, when I think just off the top of my head about if I had to watch one coming-of-age movie right now, what would it be? And so if you talk to me five years from now, this probably won't even be in my top ten. But for today, it's number one, and that is The Edge of Seventeen. Hey. Busy. I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but I'm going to kill myself. I just thought that an adult should know. Wow. Well, actually, I was writing my own suicide note just now. I have 32 fleeting minutes of happiness during lunch, which has been eaten up again and again by the same especially badly dressed student. And I finally thought I would rather have the dark nothingness. There are two types of people in the world. The people who naturally excel at life. Golden boy, what's up? And the people who hope all those people die in a big explosion. Look at that stupid shirt my brother's wearing. When I was 13, it was clear which side of the equation I was on. what best friends are for. Nick is like right there. God, Juby made him so hot. And I had Krista. Krista! Oh my God! My brother? Seriously? I can't help how I feel. You turn into a complete Interesting. love that movie. It's only a year old. It was made in 2016. It's got a magnificent performance by Haley Steinfeld. It explores the familiar relationships between siblings, which always resonates with me because I have a lot of siblings. Um, it, It has parental separation and divorce, which resonates with me because my parents are also divorced. It just has all of these things in it that I... that just really resonate with me right now and is just a beautiful movie. It's hysterically funny, but also surprisingly moving. And it's a classic coming of age. So it's literally what it, what it is about. And so for me, uh, when I was putting my list together, it was at first just in my honorable mentions. And as I kept whittling the list down, it kept moving up higher and higher and (laughs) higher. And so for me today, just for today, it's my number one for sure. Wow, that is definitely a surprising pick. Uh, I I, I love that movie a lot. I watched it uh, on, uh, I got it from Redbox when it came out last fall. But uh, man, yeah, that was was a very surprising pick. So for my number one, uh, I think one of the best coming of age movies, it's not that old, uh, it's a little bit older than yours, uh, but not that old still. But it kind of perfected the genre in, in a way that other movies couldn't. It literally showed a child coming of age on screen. Here we go. Here and you we know go. exactly what's coming. And <sighs> that is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Let me hey, stop. Put the barrier up. I don't want to be your hero. <laughs> I don't want to be a big man. 
You guys ready to have some fun? Yeah! yeah! Whoa! Don't worry about it. Looks like you use the bumpers. You don't want the bumpers. Life doesn't give you bumpers. We have a new student joining us today. Hey, dude. Welcome to the suck. Man, I love that movie. Look, like I said, Goodwill Hunting is probably a better movie than this. Uh, it is a better movie than it's this. It's definitely um, a better movie. Uh, but, like I said, it's just you're literally watching a kid come of age and this movie is imperfect. There are, um, some, some bad performances in the movie. There are some problematic things that I find in the, in the worldview of it, but it is a great film and, and really impacts me. I, I still remember the scene where the kid is driving off to college and I just, it, I remember sitting in the theater going, we literally just watched a child grow up. Like, right before our eyes and i was just blown away and so i really that was my favorite movie uh of its year uh and i i really really love that movie what do you think of boyhood i can't begrudge you for loving what you love i think <laughs> boy i think boyhood is one of the most overrated films of that oh, year oh i really do and it's not because i didn't want to love it because it is it's written the construct of it is something that is tailor-made for me. I love these kinds of movies about life and just the purpose of life and being alive um, and the things that we go through as humans. But it was, I think it just got a lot of extra credit as a film because of what it was and how it was shot. And I have no problem with that because it is a remarkable feat. But if you take, I contend that if you take that same movie and those same performances and use different actors... And, and just watched it, it p- people wouldn't even remember it. So it just didn't con- it just didn't connect emotionally for me. I wanted it to, but overall it just didn't. So but it's fine. I know a lot of people really love it and I don't I don't begrudge anyone for loving what they love. So I'm glad you, you love it, Daniel. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh so what are some other movies that you love in your honorable mentions? Well, I just wrote down five and then I stopped because I, I was going <laughs> to be here all day. So I had Goodwill Hunting for sure. I had Pan's Labyrinth. I kind of cheated oh, on that one, but it's a coming of age sort movie. Sort of, it's yeah. A, it's a masterpiece. Dead Poets Society is one that I've watched a yeah. hundred times and love. Uh, Teen Wolf. I what? Watched, I have watched <laughs> Teen Wolf so many times that my eyes almost fell out. It's the gr- it's great, Daniel. It's wow. Teen Wolf. And then one that is the first movie that I remember crying at the end of, and that's Old Yeller. Oh, is a wow. very very much a coming of age movie, but a but a great movie nonetheless. So those those are my honorable mentions. Interesting. Okay, so for me, Breakfast Club is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, that's I, I kind of wish I had made room for it on my list, but the others just felt more of a coming of age movie. Uh, Dazed and Confused is amazing. Yeah. Like we already talked about, Stand by Me. Super Eight is kind of a kind of a coming of age sure. movie a little bit and for sure so there's yeah. that and honestly uh it would be on my honorable mentions uh that is a great coming of age movie so i would i would have that on there uh so yeah we definitely had some some people chiming in on social media so i'll, I'll uh, read a few of those out here we had Britton meathy who said goodwill hunting as well uh willy wonka and the chocolate factory that's a that's a oh interesting yeah pick. good yeah. one yeah definitely didn't think about that uh and perks of being a wallflower all Great choices there. Uh, we also had Don Beck, who said 16 Candles, which is a great pick. 
M- Matt Anderson said Moonrise Kingdom, which I did not think about at all. Uh, yeah. Decent, decent pick there. Uh, did yep. you have anybody and chiming in with you? We did. We had Nate McKay who said The Sandlot, like you. Uh, he mentioned E.T., great pick, great movie. Yeah. Uh, Hook. And okay. He he was also on board with me on the Teen Wolf train. So in your face, Daniel. Teen Wolf is great. Wow, that is very surprising. Uh, Rob Alderman said, "Stand by me." Big and it. He threw in it. Nice. Uh, the most recent version. And then uh, Shara Troutner said, "Circle of Friends." I don't know that as one. As well as yeah, as well as Stand by Me and The Man in the Moon. So some good picks there. We also had Dr. Jeff Salyer who mentioned The Graduate and Goonies. And the Breakfast Club Goonies is a great one. I'm, oh yeah, I'm, I forgot about the yeah. Goonies. About Goonies, I love that. Scott Kitzmiller said "Summer of '42." Uh, Don't know that one. That's an older one, but so is Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one that resonated with him. Jacob Simpson said "Big" and "My Girl." My Girl's a good one for sure. I've never and, seen My Girl actually. Oh, you should definitely you should definitely check it out. Uh, and then Diane Glover said "The Graduate," my all time favorite movie, and that's a classic coming of age. So those were some all good right. picks. Awesome. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. Okay, so those are our picks. Uh, thanks for chiming in to everybody who did. As always, anytime we put out these top threes, make sure you get on there and let us know your picks, and we'll give you a shout-out on here. Uh, and that's all the show we have for you today. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for chiming in. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of interaction on Twitter these days. Definitely hop on there and give us a follow. Uh, as well, uh, if you leave us a review on iTunes, uh, we always appreciate that. And we'll, we'll give you a shout-out as well if you, if you leave us a review. So please do that. It helps other people discover us and, uh, and listen to, uh, to us as well. So join us next time when we review Mother. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.